On this episode, we discuss Assassin's Creed from Ubisoft Games, makers of such other great movies as None, Nothing, Zilch, Nada, None, No Movies, Nothing, No Movies. everyone and welcome to the flop house okay <laughs> throwing off my rhythm right away <laughs> i'm dan mccoy hey dan i'm Stuart wellington hey dan it's Stuart. i'm elliot kalen and today is flop day sure uh, thursday I, the day that we shot syria with a bunch of bombs Dan, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying why to, do you get have to what, keep. Why do you have to keep bringing the real world? I'm into trying this to figure magical out magical fantasy land of snark we call the flop house. What you're? I'm trying to play into whatever your thing is. It's I don't, the, I don't it's know what your the, bit is. It's the two, you can't read his body language, it's the Dan. Two week anniversary of our last episode. Oh, oh that's true. So what that's did you true. get me? Um, don't tell me you forgot again. Uh, the babysitter. Here you go. Dead. I got. <laughs> I got you the uh, plastic and uh, holder together thing from Stuart's six pack. Oh, these rings! I can use these to strangle fish to death. I yeah. appreciate that. You know that that's the only thing that gets me <laughs> yeah, turned yeah. on these days. Yeah, you just yeah. show it to the fish, and you're like, "You're going to be sleeping with you." <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So thanks for the prop work, Dan. Uh, yeah. You can't see you can't see the listeners, but he actually handed me uh, this six pack beer ring. Dan will probably update the Flophouse website with a picture <laughs> the, the of those rings. Photos of, yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. So it'd be funny if I had a photo of that with like a big celebrity and I just labeled it like <laughs> plastic six yeah, pack yeah. ring seen uh, here. Yeah. And the picture of the celebrity is uh, to provide an accurate date to the photo. <laughs> yeah, they're holding up today's That's paper. exactly what yeah, Skeet Ulrich's beard looks like on that one day. As you can see, I had LeBron James hold up today's newspaper <laughs> so you can know what date it was. He thought briefly that I had kidnapped him, but I disabused him of that notion. Um. Hey, I've got a weird voice because I have a cold. Dan has a cold, uh-huh. and Stuart is hot, so it oh, evens yeah. out to me, Elliot, the guy in the mm-hmm. middle, just kind of lukewarm, doing my best. Yeah, lukewarm. By the way, was uh, my acting name, my screen name, mm-hmm. Lucas Warm. Uh-huh. Or if I was doing like a cool thing, lukewarm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't get a lot of roles, but the roles I did get, such as Orderly Number Three on Oz, uh, the scene was cut. <laughs> Or nurse number two on ER, the scene was cut. Did you go by lukewarm or Lucas warm? Well, that's the thing. If it was a serious role, Lucas warm. But if it was like a cool role, oh, you just lukewarm. changed it up. You didn't have to file with one with the uh, actors guild. Uh, I mean, I should have. That's why they kicked me out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize I had to be a member of a union, <laughs> uh, okay. and also that there was already a lukewarm and a Lucas warm, also mm-hmm. a Lucas J warm and a Luke R Warmington. Yeah, and there's the uh, that that uh, the Eastern European Luca Swarm. <laughs> he's a wrestler. <laughs> yeah, Luca Swarm. Yeah, he's half B. This bit reminds me of uh, the only. Not what bit. This is my real life. <laughs> Dan, this isn't a bit. This is real life. Mm-hmm. That one's for Matt Singer. <laughs> yeah. This uh, this reminds me of the only April Fool's prank I took part of 
which was took uh, part in, but yes, took part in, um, which was when I was a uh, intern for the Leonard Lopate Show, which is a local public radio program. I uh, was on on air as a character who had been cut from every pilot of a successful television show, ah. and so I was actually in the pilot for Cheers, but I had been cut. I was in the fi- pilot for the X Files, but I had been cut. All these care, and I I had no IMDb credits because I've been cut from all these shows, and uh, that's not really a story, but it's a thing that happened to me. I mean, you so had the how is it a, a story. prank? Yeah, well, how is it a prank? <laughs> who well, who is the target the, of this? <laughs> then I, <laughs> who are you getting with this? <laughs> well, then I saran wrapped Leonard Lopate's toilet. Oh, uh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I get Why are you looking at me like that? And you were like, just try to track me down. I don't exist, according to IMDb. Mm-hmm. And you disappeared in a puff of pro. <laughs> IMDb pro, that is. So, Dan, what do we do on this podcast, aside from you having a cold and me making up nonsense and Stuart just being generally handsome? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. Kind of like a review show, like a round table. Mm-hmm, except the table we're at is actually not round. <laughs> Rectangular. Fun fact, put <laughs> in the trivia section on IMDb for the Flophouse. Uh, actually, speaking of it, do they do podcast entries on IMDb? There's TV shows and there's movies. Uh, is there an IPDB, an Internet Podcast Database? Because we should have I'm an sure Get on it, Internet. Yep. Somebody make that and then in the trivia section put, or the goof section put, Stuart referred to it as a round table, but it's, the table is actually not round. Yeah. But a goof. Yeah. Goofs. Stuart said that at the end of uh, Mirrors, he was not in a mirror world, but he was in a mirror world. Goofs. Oh, yes. So, so wait a minute. The goof section of the Internet Podcast Database just, is going to have anything that somebody said that is not actually exactly. based in fact. Wow, that's going to take a lot of time in writing. It's going to be a big goof section. I don't know it'll if it'll take longer to fill out the goof section or to fill out Paul F. Tompkins' Podcast credits. Oh, take that, Bob Tompkins. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you prolific motherfucker. <laughs> you got Wellington. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I enjoy your I'm work sorry, and dog. everything. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Dan, we watch a bad movie. We talk about it. We make up a lot of nonsense. Yeah. And tonight, did we, we watched, watch a bad movie? We watched one of the worst movies. <laughs> I'm skipping ahead, but uh, we watched something called. <laughs> Assassin's Creed. Uh huh. Now, Assassin's Creed is based on a series of video games. Mm-hmm. Oh, and right. that's why, and that's probably why so much of the movie was platform jumping and hand-to-hand combat with a variety of unrealistic weaponry. Uh huh. And stuff happening in the present that felt like cutscenes. Yeah, yeah. So, and that they should have been cut from the film. So let's yeah. just get this out up front. We're a couple of gamer boys, right? Uh, Gamer boys, see you later, boys. <laughs> yeah. See you, lamer boys. <laughs> uh, and I remember <laughs> Dan. You- what's the name of your Avril Lavigne parody cover band? <laughs> uh, Avril Lavigne. I, I dress up as Borat, oh, man. I, I start shaking you know my head I before you even start talking. Dan, I gave you an almost impossible task with that one, <laughs> yeah. and you less than exceeded my expectations. <laughs> so I apologize. That's on me. That's not on you. Look, I can't ask a man to swallow fire if he, and expect him to just do it right off the bat. Mm-hmm. It would be impossible. We have an Avril Tejine, the the Moroccan. I mean, I like that more than cuisine. the first one. 
the tagine. I'm just gonna skip ahead and we'll get to Cape Canaveral Levine, <laughs> where she's like she's like a cool girl wearing a tie, but she also wears an astronaut spacesuit. Yeah. Advil Levine. Oh, oh, there it is. That's a good one. He got it. No oh, yeah. man, it only took four tries between the three of us. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> as I was saying, we're a couple of hardcore gamer dudes, and I remember... I've certainly played a video game in the past seven years. Uh-huh. And Dan has a little uh, Nintendo box I have one of those there. many Nintendos. Yeah, and you have, a, like, a Tamagotchi, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it died. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. I tried to feed it just, like, real-life food, but it's I just in, kept pouring beans no, all over the Tamagotchi. <laughs> It's it's in digital heaven now with the battle toads. Yeah. But Stuart, you're a, you're <laughs> yeah, a gamer yeah. guy. Yeah. So uh, I remember borrowing a CD-ROM of of Assassin's Creed from my friend Brad, and because uh, he you know he swore by it, he's like, it's Bad. awesome. You get to be an awesome ninja. Bergstresser. Yeah, we can do a shout out. Wow. Yeah, a real Brad Bergstresser, one of the first listeners in this podcast history to come up to us and say. You guys just bullshit too much. You got to talk about the movies. <laughs> uh, Speaking well, of which, tell us about the time you borrowed a video game from a friend. So, I borrowed a copy of Assassin's Creed and I popped it in my player, fired it up, cracked a brew. Put it in your 3DO. Yeah, I'm like, I can't wait to do this ninja stuff because all the uh, all the all the trailers for the game look like you're just this awesome assassin dude running around uh, very realistic cities, and you're like, you can go anywhere and do anything as long as it's assassin-related. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that sounded cool to me. Murderers like, have no rules. It exactly. sounds a little bit like you're filling out your assassin tax forms, and you're like, <laughs> uh, I can probably deduct these shoes because I use them when I go about doing my assassin-related business. Uh, I can't pull off my... Cool jumps and flips. If I if I don't have the right socks, so I'll I'll write that off too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be like a little more shitty about it. Like, oh, <laughs> uh, how am I supposed to do my flips? <laughs> uh, so, but I remember putting in the game machine and it starting up, and I'm, you start in like the future, and then you use some kind of computer to send you back in the past like why do you need this additional framing device and just be an assassin dude luckily the movie worrying that it would not be an hour and 55 minutes long held on to that framing device mm-hmm. so that it could reach full feature length so let's dive into the movie Stuart, did you like the game by the way uh after i played a little bit of the tutorial and didn't know how to get out of the corner <laughs> i stopped playing <laughs> so we begin in 1492 uh-huh. when the Catholic sailed the ocean blue. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> All right. That guy shows his face later, although he wasn't really identified by name, so we had to look it up on Wikipedia to figure out who he was. Uh, That's but, an Easter egg for the real fans. Sure, yeah. Uh, in 1492, the Catholic monarchs of Spain are finally on the verge of taking back Granada from its Muslim occupants. Uh, this mm-hmm. is after Spain has finally liberated itself from Moorish rule. Uh, and, and those two forces are represented in-game, or in-game, <laughs> in the movie. It's not a game, it's a movie, guys. Just we keep telling yourself it's only a movie <laughs> and not a game. Uh, they're represented by the forces of the Templars and in Inquisition versus the Assassins. And now... Now, uh, weren't the... Were the Inquisition and the Templars opposed in actual history? I believe so. 
I honestly, all the garbage I read about the Knights Templar when I was a conspiracy monger teenager, uh-huh. I've forgotten mostly, but I do believe so. I think the Templars. When were I was cons- preparing for that Vampire of the Dark Ages uh, role playing game, I remember reading a bunch of crap. I believe the Templars were seen as a, yeah, as like a subversive quasi homosexual sect and they were also gathering too much wealth and power and that was one of the reasons the inquisition stepped in they're like oh you're against god we want we want your stuff now give me give me give me Mm -hmm. uh so it's anyway our hunger for power and money knows no bounds uh we're introduced via one of many swooping crane slash eagle shots Uh in which a cgi eagle is flying over a cityscape uh and we're introduced to our one of our heroes aguilar (laughs) <laughs> who is being inducted into the Assassin's Creed Hall Brotherhood. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his assassin hoodie is being lifted into the rafters. Uh, and that's the other thing you need to know. If you're an assassin, you got to keep your head covered with a hood. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry, Lee Harvey Oswald and Gavril Princep and Leon Koskols. Maybe you killed world leaders, but you're not true assassins because you weren't wearing bitching hoodies and jumping off of towers all the time. Anyway... He's inducted into the Assassin's Creed, which seems to involve having one of his fingers cut off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's given these two wrist-mounted, uh, spring-loaded blades. Uh-huh. They go right under your, your palm. So I yeah. guess if you twitch your hand, they'll pop out. And which I guess are better than regular knives because... Uh, they're always attached to your arms, You can't dude. lose them. All and right. maybe, sure, use Yeah, them. like you lose your keys. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you lose, you lose your blades? These are better. You strap them to your arms. <laughs> like you lose your keys? <laughs> That's uh, Sean Connery as Medicine Man in Assassin's Creed. Uh, He is told, and I'm partially going back to Wikipedia to remember some of this stuff. Uh, He's told in a very dimly lit, dusty room because this movie is about a couple different things. And that is people wearing hoods, people in rooms that have shafts of light with dust in them. And people, it's the mists of memory and time, dude. Oh, good point. Yeah, it's just like Michael Jackson's Remember the Time Mm -hmm. video when he dissolves into sand. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about people mumbling to each other, and they're mumbling either Spanish with subtitles, uh-huh. made up sciencey bullshit about how your DNA contains the memories of your ancestors, uh-huh. or just kind of nonsense that it's hard to hear uh, because everyone's so mumbly. Anyway, Michael Fassbender is Aguilar, and he's told he's going to protect the Prince of Granada uh, because the bad guys who are the Knights Templar slash Catholic Church want to take him so that they can use him as leverage to get something called the apple. And the apple is supposed to be uh-huh. – I guess it's the apple from the Tree of Life in Eden. There's a, there's a text scroll at the beginning that yeah. tells you there's this magic apple, which turns out to be – it turns out to be a, a device that looks like Bush's thermal grenade, thermal detonator from Jabba's palace in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, like a weird like incense burner. Yeah, and it's and but that's supposed to be the apple from the tree of life in Eden, and it Which represents. I don't understand. I mean, if it's supposed to be the apple, then I don't get <laughs> the whole Genesis. Story. So the tree's made out of metal. It's yeah, a metal I guess. Tree. And Look. they took a bite out of this this metal apple, which then Dan, Dan, was Dan. The- one, 
the Bible's all metaphors, and two, God is a transformer. Okay. <laughs> so if you, if you t- if you believe that God is a transformer, which was that He was literally the Optimus Prime, mm-hmm. and that's why you he see said, some, I am the Optimus and I am the Prime. It's why you see so many mm-hmm. preachers being they were mad at the Transformers movies because they're like, I say there's only one Optimus Prime, the big Optimus Prime in the sky who defeated Unicron and the forces <laughs> of Megatron, mm-hmm. and uh, they're like, What hey, else do preachers say? They're like, Hey kids. <laughs> I know you like that cool rap music and uh, your heavy metal. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about a cool dude who was really heavy metal. Are you going to tell name, me about Bill Hicks? His name was Optimus Prime, <laughs> but Bill Hicks. That's what Preacher always tells me about, Bill Hicks and, I don't know, some kind of Irish bullshit. Uh, the world what of the? Preacher, the comic book, oh, is a Preacher. weird one in which the gods, like, there's this Mount Rushmore that is Bill Hicks, John Wayne, two people who would not like each other in real life. And yeah, just the idea of drinking and being <laughs> Irish, and then guns. Yeah, I mean, guns are part of it. Yeah, there's a gun. There's a gun next to those other two heads. <laughs> there's like a pint of Guinness, a gun. John Bill Wayne Hicks, and Bill Hicks. John Wayne. Um, so anyway, they want this thing, the apple. It's a metal ball that's supposed to represent man's first free will. And the Templars want it so that they can, I guess, eradicate free will. It's like an, the anti-life equation yeah. is in there. And the Their assassins idea want is it. that, you know, they can make people be good by force. They can eradicate violence by making people have no free will. Well, we're not at – the, the Templars don't want to eradicate violence. Well, the Templars want to, like – Keep everyone like they want everyone to be like bow down to God. Yeah, I mean they they represent everybody. And mm-hmm. if you remember Dennis Miller's show, everybody wants to rule the world if they're Templars, and also Takamata and the Spanish Inquisition sure. and in this movie. I mean, I associate that song more with Real Genius, but that's fine. All right, just shows we grew up at different times, and I grew up with HBO, and you didn't. Although HBO did show Real Genius a lot. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we're like five minutes into the movie. Yeah. The point Sorry. is, he's supposed to f- he's supposed to find this metal apple mm-hmm. because the te- the assassins believe that there is no truth and there all are no rules and man was meant to be free. They're like ultra libertarians, yep. like they're like college sophomore libertarians, and they believe they can kill anyone they want as long as it means freedom for everybody. Mm-hmm. Cut to nineteen eighty six. And there's a young boy named Column who tries to jump his bike off of a huge jump, fails, falls on some mattresses. We know that he bears within him the DNA of ancient assassins because he's wearing a hoodie. Mm-hmm. And the hood is the symbol of good in this. Mm-hmm. They rhyme. Hood rhymes with good. Yeah. Unlike the TV show The Hood, which was not good. <laughs> or The Cape, which also wasn't oh, no, good. Oh, no, that was right. It was called The Cape. It wasn't yeah. called The Hood. The Hood is a comic You book, can't spell good okay. without hood. Uh, um, G H O O D. Good. I'm sorry. That <laughs> the shows, Owls of Good. You're right. That show is called The Cape, not The yeah. Hood. And you can't spell The Cape without Ape. <laughs> <laughs> if only there was an Ape in that show, I think it would have made it better. I would have watched it. Instead, it had a villain named Chess for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> because he loves Andrew Lloyd Webber's 80s work. <laughs> sure. Uh, so he returns home to find that his mother has been killed. And his dad is wearing an assassin's hood and has a knife. And it looks like his dad killed his mother and the police are arriving. It's a real Sicario situation because they're in Mexico and it's yep. all dusty and sandy. And the kid's like, oh, my God, you killed my mom. And his dad's like, I could explain to you what's going on, but fuck it, dude. I want you to bear a lifetime of anger toward me. I'll just yeah. say live in the shadows while crazy by Patsy Cline 
it's written by Willie Nelson, but performed by Patsy Cline, plays on the radio. Uh, he runs away, and the next thing, bam, it's 2016. And mm-hmm. that boy, Callum, is now Michael Fassbender, and he's in jail for murder. Mm-hmm. We find out later he killed a pimp. We never really find out why. We don't know that guy's story. But we know that even though he's dressed all in white in his prison scrubs, he loves drawing charcoal drawings of, like, cool, like, tough priest guys. And, like, it looks like he's one of many prisoners who is trying to get into the comic book business and practice his drawings so that he can be a pro someday. Mm -hmm. But but he's on death row. He's going to have to be a comic book pro from beyond the grave. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if anyone's done. Have any ghosts really made it in the comic book world? I Uh, I mean, Casper. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. Huge star, He's a big star in the inspiration world. Cool, everywhere. In Cool World, <laughs> wasn't Gabriel Burns' character in jail? Uh, yes, he I was thought you were going to say, that. wasn't he a ghost? Was, was like, he a ghost at saw, any point? If you saw a, a you're thinking, director's cut of Cool World, you're thinking of the sequel to Cool World, Ghost World, uh, in which all yeah. the characters came back as ghosts. <laughs> That's a really interesting interpretation of Ghost World. <laughs> hey, t- show me one thing in the text of that film that says that's not I'm what I'm imagining happened. Elliot going to Ghost World and being so angry at it. Like he's like walking out, throwing his hat on the ground. <laughs> there were no ghosts in that movie. <laughs> Where were no the ghosts? ghosts? Unless. They were all ghosts. Get me M. Night Shyamalan on the phone. Have I got a twist for you? You already made that movie? All right, never mind then. Hang up. Yeah. And that was the story of the time Elliot called M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, I had his number. That's the, that's the hard thing. Might as well use it. Yeah, I looked up Night Shyamalan, M in the mm-hmm. phone book, and it was listed at the yeah. time. <laughs> M. Night <laughs> <laughs> answers it. Who is this? <laughs> is this my pizza? <laughs> yep. Like I'm calling you from beyond the grave, dude. I'm a ghost pizza. Dennis. I'm like Mr. Night Shyamalan, and he please, says, "Please, Mr. Night Shyamalan lives in Florida. Call me M, <laughs> and I have a mission for you, Bond." Anyway, Michael Fassbender is on death row, and they give him lethal injection, but then he wakes up. It wasn't so lethal after all. (laughs) And he's talking to Marion Cotillard. That's right. Talia Al Ghul herself. Mm -hmm. And she's telling him, everyone thinks you're dead, but now you're going to be part of a secret experiment. I'm trying to eradicate violence, which I believe is genetic. And you're violent and everyone in your family is violent. We're going to hook you up to a machine called the Animus, which allows you to tap into the memories of your ancestors that are encoded in your DNA, which is not, which is crap. But at least it's like, I can buy a certain amount of crap science in a movie if the movie's going to do something with it. And she also explains to him that the reason why he has lived a violent life is because violence is written into his DNA. All of his ancestors were assassins and killers. That's why he was on death row. And they believe if they can find the apple, they can use it to remove Not violence. a DVD of the movie The Apple. No, and not just an apple that <laughs> she put in the fridge and wrote her name on, and somebody still ate it. Like wrote her name on the peel? or Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay. That was, well, she's Do you gonna peel, peel your apples before you take a big old bite? No, or? I don't. So you, you wash just, them at least, though, right? I, yeah. I you. So you wash them out of some wax on there. I got to <laughs> get off there. Yeah. What? You want, I mean, yeah, I guess if it's a dry erase marker, you can get rid of the marker, but like... I mean, if it's a Sharpie, you're just eating that Sharpie. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I haven't practiced writing. Let's my write name. our name on some apples right now and test it out. So okay, right. so let you me vamp des- for a minute while I go get apples. Let me describe for the audience <laughs> what's the happening store right now. Apples. Now, Dan is pulling one apple out of his pocket. Uh-huh. Stuart has an apple out of his pocket because I don't know if the listeners know this, but you're essentially Tom Sawyer and Huck fan. Yeah, and you just walk around with apples all the time in case you need a snack when you're done whitewashing a fence or escaping with a slave yeah, on a raft. We stole them from an apple cart on the way over to the podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, which was then smashed by a car that was. Wait, here's the angry owner of the apple cart. Oh, he's shaking his fist, and his mustache is bristling. Uh, he seems pretty unhappy, but now Dan is throwing him a $100 bill. Wow, this is his lucky day. Anyway, that's way more than he would get for those two apples normally. Now, anyway, Dan, $100 less, is uh, writing his own name on the apple. T. Except he's really, he's really, like, Man. when you see kids practicing their signatures, like, he's really doing it up. Uh, it's a, a lot of curly cues, a lot of cross hatching. He's trying to make one of the letters look three dimensional, and all the letters are kind of linked together, like it's his graffiti tag. Oh, it looks like he's writing a nickname in between Dan McCoy. Does that say the Sperminator? That's <laughs> fucking weird. It's a lot to fit on one apple, and yet Dan is doing it because he's writing Sperminator in very little letters. And now Stuart, as he opens his beer, is carving his name into the apple, which defeats the purpose of the experiment. <laughs> now Dan has dropped his phone because I guess he couldn't hold the apple and the phone and the marker at the same time this whole time he's been juggling an apple a marker and his phone which is foolish of him because he doesn't need the phone i guess it's in case there's like a upc symbol on the apple and he wants to get the hidden app tricks that are in that the <laughs> that the apple orchard put in there dan there, there's no hidden app tricks for this apple i know apple and app have some of the same letters but app is not what short about for apple the app how does that fit in? Ugh, we so let's go. <laughs> let's go one memory deeper here, guys. Do you guys ever when you pick up a product? That was, that's the end of the classic Wait. apple bed. <laughs> Are you incepting now? Stuart? Yeah. So we're gonna go one more deeper. When you pick up a product that has some kind of a weird code that's like scan this, do you ever like no. pull out your phone? Never. I've never done that. You don't ever use your camera. There's never on been. It? I've never Q's been so. Code or whatever I've never called. been so interested in what Rice Krispies has to tell me <laughs> that I'm going to pull up my phone and bother to scan it. Yeah, and download yeah, yeah. Their where app. it's like you, yeah. If you scan something into the app, I'll be like, you've unlocked the mystery to Rice Krispies. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it snap crackles pops because they're filled with the souls of the damned. It's <laughs> them screaming in pain as they drown in your milk. I didn't want to know this. <laughs> Thanks for the app. <laughs> uh, so she want they want to find this apple and they hook him into the animus machine. Stuart, can you define what the animus machine looks like and how it operates? Okay, the animus machine looks like a long uh, robot snake coming down from the ceiling, and it's got a little claw on the end, and it claws the back of Michael Fassbender. It's a little bit like a carnival claw game, except the <clears> only <throat> thing you can win is Michael Fassbender, but you do win every time. You get it every time. Sometimes yeah. he's like wiggling all over the place, but that's okay. He's still Michael Fassbender. <laughs> or it ports into your neck like existence or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty trad, like, cyberpunk idea of connecting to your brain by sticking something in the back of your head. Now, when he's in the animus, does he just stand there still? No. Well, the first thing that happens is he launches up into the air. The first thing that happens is he takes his shirt off so we see his sweet cut body. And you're like, now I get why I did this movie. He wanted the excuse to hit a trainer really hard, so he gets shredded. Mm -hmm. And so he first rises up into the air, and you see that body in its full glory. And when I say glory, I mean... He's in a Jesus Christ pose. Yeah. He's got his arms out. He's got his wrist blades on because they had to put those on if he's going in the animus. That They, they have a collection of ancient weapons mm-hmm. at this place because it's – it's well, let's describe the place he's in. It's like a maximum security Gattaca prison 
mm-hmm. with a lot of guards. As I think, Dan, were you the one talking about how expensive it must be? Yeah, I don't know who's funding this operation. And it's run by Marion Cotillard and her dad, Jeremy Irons, in a role that demands as much looking at things while scowling as one man can do in a film. It's a lot like the set of... Like the the facility in Cabin in the Woods <coughs> mm-hmm. or the, I don't know, like the island in the island or, I don't know, like the place Harrison Bergeron would have to live. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, and yeah, it's one of those places that doesn't look like a place actual humans would spend too much time. Uh, there is one room where the inmates get to hang out because Fastman is not the only one that has plants in it which mm-hmm. doubles as their cafeteria and rec room, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say one thing about Jeremy Irons in this role. Mm-hmm. Not since Raymond Burr in Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as an actor, felt so injected into a film. The man stared out so many windows. Oh, yeah. Since as a man stood and stared at things where you're like, did they even tell him what he's supposed to be looking <laughs> at in this scene? Uh, he does have a few speaking lines. He interacts with Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. And he is clearly a dad who is close to the Templars. He meets a couple times with the head of the Templars, who's mm-hmm. a lady because the Templars are woke and progressive. Yeah. And uh, but Marion Cotillard, she's like, they're giving me the funding to eliminate violence. This is great. Anyway, so and I'm going to do that with my magical science claw. And the magical science claw only works, as you mentioned. If they give him his weapons that his ancestor used, yeah. So he has his wrist-mounted blades. So he rises up in the air, and then all of a sudden, he is slowly taken back through the 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 mists of time. You might call it a porthole of time. Mm-hmm. All the way to the memories of one of his ancestors, and then with the assistance of the claw that can lift him up in the air. He kind of like lives out and reenacts all the memories of his one specific ancestor. He Aguilar. Aguilar. We met yeah. in the beginning of the movie. Now he is essentially now, playing a virtual reality game in which he sees Aguilar's memories and he acts out the movements. And mm-hmm. it's a little bit like if you've ever seen someone using Oculus Rift mm-hmm. and you're just watching them react to things that you can't see and it looks hilarious. They now, I mean they make it look like you when you're wearing the Oculus Rift, what you think you look like is like you want to assume people think you look super cut and cool. Yeah. And occasionally there's like shadow monsters that you're punching. That's the other thing is that as the movie goes on, they everyone else can see what he's seeing more and more. That's weird. It's something I don't remember if they ever fully explained. Well, also, uh, Marion Cotillard says that he can't change the past. We go over this. Like he's just. Oh, no. Yeah. He's just reliving he's just memories. There to like because they want to follow him to see where he took the. The apple. His ancestor took the apple. They want to find out where it went. But it's like the the screenwriter's easiest way to do it is to tap into his DNA memory and make him relive it. But the screenwriter's like, what's the least exciting way I could do this? What what could I do that would remove my hero's agency entirely? I'll just have him be reliving a thing that already happened, but not be able to affect it. All contraire, Dan. Because he starts experiencing what they call the bleeding effect, Mm. where suddenly he's hallucinating Aguilar all over the place, and Aguilar starts giving him the strength he needs. All over the place in the like three rooms he's allowed to go into. Yeah, because for this entire monolithic uh, cell block, enormous facility, we really only see a couple of the rooms. But Aguilar starts kind of 
teaching him that he's got the moves, he's got the grooves, he's got the power inside of him. There's a great scene where he world. does a little like uh, a little martial arts fight with the with the ghost of Aguilar. That's pretty cool, right? Um, I no, no, but I mean, I, how did either of them learn martial arts, guys? Well, Aguilar <laughs> grew up in in Spain in the 15th century, mm-hmm. the home of martial arts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you got to assume that Cal picked up some tips in jail when he wasn't charcoal drawing. Now, luckily for you guys, I was here today, so I could explain to you that the reason. <laughs> why he was able to learn those martial arts, why it was the home of martial arts back then was because when Marco Polo returned from China, in addition to the secrets of Pizgetti, he brought along the secrets of martial arts. <laughs> really? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mar- Marco Polo had Jeffy from fa- Family Circus <laughs> along with him. Apparently, he was- yeah, he's like, I'm, I need a name. Well, yeah. why do you think it took him so long to get, to get back to Italy from China? Is they do such a crazy roundabout yeah. route with dotted lines following them. Everywhere. They had to stop in every yard in town before they got back to Italy. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the queen of Spain's like, the Chinese people are really mad because they say somebody stole all this stuff. <laughs> Who stole said, all this stuff? And he said, not, not me. me. I don't know. <laughs> and two mischievous ghosts went to hang out with the kid's grandpa in heaven. Went to hang out with... <laughs> The kids from Love Is. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, they're all naked, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a, now, is it creepy? Wait that a minute. The is not me like actually a ghost? It's. I mean, it's unclear based on the text whether they are actual ghosts or spirits, or just meant to be personifications of the idea of escaping blame. If if Bill Keen is and now Bill Keen's son, who I guess does the strip now, I think if they, if they're having a a bit of a laugh at kids, or if the Family Circus characters do live in a world in which spirits affect physical material objects now again i'll mention (laughs) their grandpa's angel is constantly looking down on them so we do live in a world where there is a kind of metaphysical supernatural reality no spirit realm but their grandpa existed right he wasn't like the the idea of a grandpa given spiritual no, form. No, well, we don't know that there wasn't a not me and an I don't know. That's what I'm trying to find who out. lived in the family circus's house or circus and mm-hmm. are now haunting them. Oh, yeah. So they were the family that lived in that home previously. Yeah. yeah. I like to believe that the dad and family circus, they were his family and he murdered them. Oh, okay. God. Then he married a new woman, started a new family. And I, not me and I don't know are like, we've got to cause mischief so we can get a message across to these kids to leave so that they aren't the next victims. It's a real the stepdad there's situation. Something, there's something about the dad from Family Circuses, uh, those glasses he wears. His and the kind of affect. And like the blankness behind those glasses. It's like oh, uh, no Dirk soul. Backdurf's uh, My Friend Dahmer coming <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> <laughs> and the way, and also the way that the dad is always pretending to have seizures as a joke, just like sure. in my friend Dahmer. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of similarities of between Dirt Factor material and Bill Keen's. Yeah, I think the dad is actually kind of supposed to be Bill Keen. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> oh, well, that dad married up, though. I mean, we can all agree, right? Fell. Oh yeah, I think she's that's super a, hot. I mean, and, they, yeah. and in the '90s, they changed her haircut. <laughs> yeah, and she looked even better. It's a Blondie Dagwood situation. Look, these it's a King of Queens situation. These hot women are stuck with these not in, not attractive guys. Well, Dagwood can eat a fucking sandwich and take a nap. I mean, <laughs> you're right. He's every woman's dream. 
You're right. That's a bachelor situation. How, he, uh, you know, she, she, Blondie was just lucky to get his rose at the end. How I, I can only imagine the like uh, the dates they would go on in, in Dagwood's Bachelor, where it's like <laughs> you all get to make the sloppiest, tallest sandwich. <laughs> Another sandwich one. Now, uh, how I, how I wish this was a comic strip podcast. <laughs> well, then we could talk about how they're not all couples that are mismatched. High and Lois. They're so close together, they could be brother and sister, which brings me to my next theory, that High and Lois are actually brother and sister. <laughs> now, one Lois is Beetle Bailey's cousin, right, or that's, something like that? I believe that's right. Cousin or sister. I can't remember which one. They're related. Well, it wouldn't be sister because they'd be married, as yeah. High and Lois are. I guess it would make High Beetle Bailey's cousin, too, if High and Lois were brother and sister. Yeah. Now, anyway, if they, you know what? They're if they both were, adults. If they so were strapped say? into the Animus, would they go back in time to like BC or Croc or something? Uh, yeah, probably. Be, they go back through Wizard of Id, back through BC. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Where does Wizard of Id fall in the time frame between BC and Croc? In between. In between, in, yeah. Okay, I guess. I mean, I mean wizard, when were wizards around? It's clearly like the Middle Ages. <laughs> okay. There's knights and a king and a castle and a wizard. Yeah. Although the king, I mean, let's just face it, he's a fink. <laughs> that's what I've been told. That's what I've been everyone. led to believe. And that's the comic strip that, as a kid, I was like, that's your punchline? <laughs> he's a fink? <laughs> like, that's it? That's it. Okay. Uh, let me just say one thing about this I imagine that that's like a comic strip for people who can't swear. Like, oh, fink. <laughs> Finally. Finally, someone's saying it. Now, Dan, we got to get back to the movie. We've been distracted yeah. enough as our rulers would have us be by family bread and family circuses. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. on to back to the film where, to make a long story short, um, Fassbender starts making friends with the other people at the prison who are also descended from assassins. In his, He goes through a bunch of action sequences in his memories, the first of which they're on a stagecoach kind of thing with horses, and they're going through all these valleys that you know an Italian Western was probably shot in at some point. Mm-hmm. Made me really wish I was watching any Italian Western because it would have been better than this. There's a lot of fight scenes where an assassin is rushed by a Templar dude and the Templar dude does a big haymaker swing with his sword. That's the assassin's turn to duck or block and then stab him a bunch. Yeah, the assassin's scenes almost always seem to end with him hanging off of something or about to jump off of something. Mm-hmm. And then one of the movie's tricks is... The good guys can all the Templars can always survive these enormous jumps off of like fifty foot towers because as soon as they're about to hit the ground, Michael Fassbender wakes up out of his memory. Yeah, and then when he goes back into his next memory, the Templar is just fine. And, and you're like, around. wait, what happened to the guy in the past? How did he jump off it's the like building a Wiley and survive? Coyote situation. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a whole Wiley Coyote situation. Aguilar would like get flattened and hold up a sign that said like, "Yikes!" <laughs> or like, "Ouch!" and then. He, his body would pop up like an accordion, and he'd walk up screen, off screen, blackout. He's fine. Mm-hmm. All right. Problem solved, I so guess. He, <laughs> so in the real world, he's kind of going along with this, but they realize that he's not really giving himself into the project entirely. So they can they reveal to him that they have his father who killed his mom. Now, Marion like, Cotillard starts, they become a little friendly, him, her and Fassbender. But yeah, they reveal that his dad is in there, too. Yeah. And so they give him the opportunity to, like, get 
get his revenge. To, as get, Macaulay Culkin did, get even with dad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think they, they say that to him. They show him the movie to <laughs> explain saying, the reference because he hadn't seen it. He hadn't seen it because uh, for some reason, he somehow missed the blockbuster yeah. Ted Danson, Macaulay Culkin vehicle. The movie that finally brought together America's two favorite stars, like, Ted Danson and Macaulay Culkin. Ted Danson was playing the dad, right? Yes, and, and Macaulay Culkin played Greg Even. They yep, got, right. Thank thank you. Thank you for joking my <laughs> We got the VHS tape out from my hometown library where it was one of the few tapes you could get. Now, Dan Stewart, let me ask you a question and maybe can you can yeah. help me. I don't have a therapist, but maybe you can be that for me. Mm-hmm. I saw Getting Even with Dad once uh-huh. when it came out on the same day I saw The Lion King. Yep. Why do I still remember whole scenes of getting even with dad. <laughs> and yet there are events of my own life that my wife will tell me, remember when we did this? And I'll be like, I don't remember that. I don't remember that vacation we took. But if she said, hey, what did Macaulay Culkin do with the money that they stole in getting even with dad? I'd be like, he put it in the sports bag that he then hung on the mannequin in the department store in the mall so that his dad couldn't find it, but he'd know where it was. I really wish this I could. This movie I saw once on the same day I saw a much better movie. I really would have loved to have been in your classics class when somebody uh, was describing the story of Oedipus, and you're like, oh, it's like getting even with Dad. <laughs> I think that was Sophocles' original title, yeah. was Getting Even with Dad. That was a weird scene when Macaulay Culkin poked his own eyes out at the end of Getting Even with Dad. Yeah, it was uncalled for. <laughs> and he said, ah, right, his classic catchphrase. Yeah, that's right, his classic catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> he did the same hands on the cheeks thing, but there was blood pouring out of his eyes. Okay. So anyway, back to Assassin's Creed. He meets up with his dad, and they have kind of a heart to heart. And his dad tells him like, but basically tells his him dad like, played by uh, star of many sword based movies, Brendan Gleeson. And the movie's really waiting based a long time swords. to reveal yeah. that Brendan Gleeson is in it. An actor I like a lot. Yeah, he's really good. Uh, Dan, you I might mean, know him as Mad Eye Moody. Is not the cast. I mean, you gotta. This cast is stacked. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we just watched Collateral Beauty a couple of weeks ago, and that had like seven Academy Award nominees <laughs> in it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this movie is confident enough that they can have Michael K. Williams in it and barely give him anything to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, and he says basically, is this when he tells him basically, look, your mom was an assassin too. Yes. And she wanted to die rather than be captured, so I did what she wanted. I could have killed myself. Instead, I escaped to live another day instead of helping your mom escape. It's not really sure why he is. That's a weird choice, especially if she's also an assassin. Yeah. Unless, like, she, like, has been out of the game for a while and would slow him down. Possible, yeah. Also, he killed her, and then at no point did it look like he was planning on actually killing his son. No. So it seems like deep down he was like, well, I kind of wanted to kill her anyway. <laughs> this is the chance to finally be a single dad living the Ed O'Neill in Dutch scenario that I've always wanted to be a part of. Now mm-hmm. I know Ed O'Neill was not the kid's dad in Dutch. I think he was dating the I mean, the kid's by mom. the end he kind of is. By the end he became a father figure. He introduced him to nudie playing cards and I don't remember what else. I think the kid's dad was the guy who's like a bad guy in Adam Sandler movies. What's that actor's name? Uh, uh, what, from Happy Gilmore? Yeah, pro- I think so, yeah. And he's the oh, what is his name? The guy who's the who's the TV pitch man in uh, in uh, what's the Darren Aronofsky movie where they're all on drugs? Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> yeah. And he played Ward Cleaver in the Leave It to Beaver movie. Mm-hmm. 
Damn, what's his name? I don't know. Good thing we don't have IMDb. I have, have mine's already open to Assassin's Creed. Anyway, the point is, Callum decides, he keeps going back in these memories, and he sees his ancestors, he sees his ancestor finally defeat Takamata and get the, the leader of the Inquisition and get the apple back. And he decides that, you know what? He's not going to help these guys anymore and starts being clear to Marion Cotillard that her dad, Jeremy Irons, was never really interested in her research but just wanted to help it – use it to find the apples so that the Templars could take over the world. And uh, Christopher McDonald. Christopher McDonald. Thank Christopher you. Christopher McDonald. Okay. Uh, go back. Thank you for, for finding that. It would have bothered You're me. welcome. Till the end of the world. Um, long story short uh, – he they there's a revolt at this at this space jail mm-hmm. uh, where it all, seems like the plan into their fighting powers. Yeah, the plan to find the descendants of assassins, a which I would think that assassin is a career that wouldn't leave a lot of time for raising a family, <laughs> but I guess uh, as luck would have it, these were very fertile assassins. <laughs> uh, uh, and then well, so they, much like Johnny Assassin Seed, who roamed America. Having sex with women to leave assassin babies behind. The so for some reason collecting all these violent people and then having them learn all the assassin abilities from their past lives <laughs> was their, a bad idea. And be given their magic traditional weapons. So that's the thing. Like during this, this is a big action sequence, and this is also the moment where a lot of these like characters get to do a lot of cool jumps and flips and stuff. Now at the same time, there's a lot of smoke bombs going off, so it continues the movie's trend of. Action scenes that are very smoky and shadowy, so you can't really tell who's doing what. The but like there's something about the fact that clearly they are so much better than the people they're fighting, and there's been nothing up to this point that feels like they're genuine. Like, it, they feel like they're in jail, but they don't feel like they're like genuinely mistreated. It's not like. When, like, the evil warden gets it in Shawshank Redemption. No, but their freedom has been taken away. You know, it's like kind of. even, a, even, a, even a beautiful cage is still a cage. But, I mean, there's a way to do that and make a person feel that way. The movie does not really stress that much how, how, like, how bad they have it. Oh, no. I mean, it looks like what I, as a, as a disturbed teenager, always imagined, like, going to a sanitarium might be. Where it's like, oh, I just get to do whatever I want all day and I have no responsibilities. Oh, this is great. This seems fine to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I never followed through on that, that idea. <laughs> on, that, did not, on that life path? Did not <laughs> pretend to be crazy to get into a sanitarium. <laughs> because that's a one-way ticket to getting suffocated by a big Native American before he throws a water fountain through a window. Mm-hmm. That's what happens if you pretend to be crazy to get into a sanitarium. Yeah, right, really, Dan? You're really making it sound like the Native American was the problem in this equation. Not at all. <laughs> Look, the problem was a non-crazy person trying to get in there and expecting to come out okay. Yeah. Oh, also his brain and, got taken out before he got suffered. Yeah, that's right. Nurse Ratchet took his brain. Hey, maybe that's more you know key what? to the... That nurse was totally ratchet. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where they came from? I, probably not, but maybe. I don't know. I don't know where slang comes from. Who am I? Dr. Slang? Who is Dan? Is that a real Batman villain? Because we established in an earlier episode, I don't know the Batman villain. Is that a Dr. John parody? <laughs> or is it a Dr. Scholl's parody? I would like. Dan. Answer. Uh, sure, there's a Dr. Slang back in the 70s. He was like, Batman, I think it would be really 
groovy <laughs> and if he's you like, die. Oh, oh, the power of slang. <laughs> you only commit slang-related crimes? That's how, right. how would that manifest? <laughs> In Def Leppard's album, Slang. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would break into whenever the Oxford English Dictionary was inducting a new word into the dictionary that year. He would break it and disrupt the ceremony. No, he'd steal it away. This yeah. should be slang. I want to keep my words away from the establishment. Mm-hmm. Then it stops being slang and becomes language. Yeah. It's language. It's language. I can go for a nice open face, hot language. Uh, anyway, uh, while in this final fantasy, not the video game of the same name, this final memory, uh, Fassbender does another one of these big jumps, and he jumps so hard that the machine breaks, and he's able to get out, and all the ghosts of the old assassins from his past start talking to him, including his mom, I guess. Yep. And they tell him... You're an assassin. There's no such thing as truth, yada, 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 etc. All the assassins escape, and Jeremy Irons has already left because things are in a bad way there. Then we cut to the Templars are getting together for some kind of conference, and Jeremy Irons seems to be receiving an award of some kind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's, well, he, they, they figured out after Michael Fassbender went uh, back through time. Oh, right. That uh, he had his, old, his ancient self had given— Aguilar. Aguilar had given Christopher Columbus the magical Easter egg. Now, now I will, I will, and we all pointed out that there were a lot easier ways to dispose of this Easter egg. They're on a boat. Just throw that thing overboard. Throw Just give overboard. it to fucking Gwai here in the Eagles, dude. Yeah, yeah. or Tom Bombadil. <laughs> Stick it in a fucking uh, Tom Bombadil mole hole, thing, dude. <laughs> or just bur- like hit it with hammers until it breaks. Yeah, <laughs> like what? Like they're ne- <laughs> they're never really they're never they're really cl- seen that would have been where he's like keep this with you be buried with it and then it cuts to the next day where he's on deck and there's just like some idiots smashing it with, with hammers. Uh, now, what a great movie! They're never really been. clear on how the apple works or what it really is. Yeah. It's implied it's some kind of advanced technology left by an even earlier civilization that. Destroyed itself, or maybe by, as we mentioned, some kind of bionic yeah. transformer god. Yeah, the Gwauld or something. But instead, it off. like, just burn it. Just, like, do, get rid of it. Throw it in a volcano. I don't know. Uh, just do, <laughs> I don't know. Like, have an animal yeah, swallow it. tomb is a volcano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, like, at least uh, in Lord of the Rings, they're like, we have to destroy this thing, right? It's not like this, this ring is incredibly evil and it could destroy everything. So. I guess hold on to it until you die, you know. Yeah, I mean, what he should have done was he should have written a shitload of clues and stuck them all over Washington D.C. and <laughs> hidden it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, sure, and, and we could learn about American history yeah. while we go on an amazing mystery adventure. <laughs> exactly. Which at that point wasn't even history; it was American future. That's what would have been exciting. That's what's so amazing is he's like, he's I- like the great experiment's about to begin. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the great emancipator laid his head here. Of course, Lincoln's home in Springfield, Illinois. I'll just wait for the United States to form and then Springfield to be founded and Lincoln to live there so I know which house was his. It's an unfortunate uh, choice of imagery to have Christopher Columbus be the guy going to the New World bearing the apple of knowledge. I mean, the <laughs> like, idea, fuck off, the, dude. The idea that he is now, that the avatar of liberty and freedom, I guess, and free thought, and I assume what comes with it is people not being forced to live by belief systems they don't agree with, is, yeah, Christopher Columbus, <laughs> the de- devastator of native worlds. <laughs> yeah. A harbinger of, ca- of Catholic forced conversion. But anyway, that 
we might be reading more into history than Assassin's Creed really wants us to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they go to this uh, big employee of the month event that the Templars are throwing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the one that seems to not be staffed by anybody. There's no security or ticket takers anywhere. Or concessions. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Where so are you going to get a hot pretzel? So the assassins yeah. walk in in hoods. You go there, you want them cheese sticks because they're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> You got to have a couple different Dunkin' sauces. Maybe there's just good old fashioned kettle corn, you know? Get a sack of that. Mm-hmm. And then you sweet got, and savory. You got to buy, you got to buy, buy one of those light up swords for the kids because yeah. they see another kid waving it around, and you're like, that thing's gonna break. You're not even gonna want it tomorrow, but I want it now. Fine. How much is it? Thirty five dollars. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Well, wait, yeah, they gotta make they gotta make a good profit on that shit. I'm, they, yeah, because they're all, they're not already overcharging me on the tickets. The <laughs> yeah, ten dollar kettle corn for five minutes of Jeremy Irons waving around <laughs> some fucking metal testicle. Okay, you found your paperweight <laughs> that incense comes out of. Thanks, Jeremy. The, uh, glad I paid for the ticket. Glad I bought a robe for this. So oh, He walks into this room full of Templars and there's all these moving spotlights on him and it looks for all the world like it's like, ladies and gentlemen, your 2017 Templar Jeremy Irons! You all ready for this? You're supposed to wait till the music stops to get to that part. Dan, can you give him a yellow card for that? <laughs> oh man, this, this is my second one. I guess uh, I'm going to miss a game next week? Mm-hmm, unfortunately. Okay. But you still get orange slices. Oh, great. And yeah. I get to slap people's butts. Yeah, orange slices, the official snack of soccer for some reason. <laughs> uh, so you, you're going to say, Stuart. I was going to say, uh, you know, when you're at medieval times and you can okay. buy. That's not what <laughs> I, I love where you're going already. Didn't know, but love it already. So when you're at medieval so times. Is, so is this less about the sh- movie you watched and more about overpriced things and I'm gonna get. I'm going to get there. It's going to go <laughs> okay. all the way back around. Take us down the path, my friends. <laughs> so, I don't, look, I don't, I don't know where our destination is, but I'm with you for the ride. Yeah, yeah, buckle up. So <laughs> when you're at a medieval times. Now, and not when you fall through a time portal into medieval times. No, no, you're no. You're saying a medieval times restaurant <laughs> and fake dungeon establishment. Yeah. Okay. So your headwear options for purchase, <laughs> uh-huh. your only real choice, yeah. unless, now this is based almost exclusively on the Tournament of Kings in uh, at the Excalibur in Las Vegas, <laughs> but your only headwear options are like are a princess's hat or a Viking helmet. And what I ask you is... <laughs> That isn't a Viking helmet isn't period appropriate for no. medieval times. Now you have to assume that someone found one of those. I don't know. Uh, it just does. <laughs> what would Wait you- a minute. <laughs> like somebody that works in medieval times or somebody in medieval no, times no, like it washed time. up on the on the beach and <laughs> exactly. they're like, ah, dragon's tooth. There was there was a, a normal average uh, like seaweed coll- like moss collector mm-hmm. who uh, just scraping moss off a, rocks an industry his- that was decimated by industrialization. Oh, sure, because a machine could scrape that moss ten times faster. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's uh, eh, 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 just shuffling along the rocks at the edge of the water. Eh, 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 me moss, me moss. Eh, stuffing it into his filthy sack that he can give to his children later to just gorge on. And one of these helmets just kind of washes up I mean, he sells some of it. And he's he, got to make some kind of a living to uh, afford sacks to put moss in. <laughs> he's got yeah, to have enough little bits of gold that, so that he can buy more Ashes and grime. Yeah, and he's going to need to be able to pay for his daughter's dowry. He can't just use more moss. <laughs> no. 
because the moss market is super saturated now. Yeah. And one of these Viking helmets just washes up, and he's like, "What is this?" Sniffs it, takes it, tries to chew on it, doesn't know what it is, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, thinks it's a god for a little while and worships it. And then finally, a, a knight or maybe some kind of educated priest wanders through and identifies it as belonging to the raiding people of the north. Oh, oh to be a fly on the wall of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> when they entered the temple of the helmet <laughs> filled with moss people uh, they're like look priest priest father father proof that god wears a hat no no my son god does not wear hats god allows his flowing long male locks to f- to fall where they may and that is why the night comes because his hair covers the sun. <laughs> uh, what be the moon then? The moon is dandruff and the stars are smaller dandruff in the hair of the creator. Allow me to see that helmet is. Tis a, a tis an idolatrous thing what you do here. <laughs> you are heathens now and you shall be burned. Yes, thank you. Okay, it's so good. Strangely it's good. for the outside observer, it appears that the uh, this moss farmer's uh, his uh, his lexicon. I think farmer his... is a little, is a little <laughs> overreaching and terms of the knowledge he has <laughs> but his uh his grasp of language has increased 10 times since finding the helmet oh no well that's the thing what it turns out is that the helmet does have magical properties because it, lo- it belonged to of course vocabulus uh the best <laughs> spoken of the vikings who had a roman name for some reason all right now vocabulus didn't really like all the violence that came with raiding he just wanted to write books and his longest book the edda uh, is set, set down, you know, the myths and legends no. of the Nordic people. So, Dan, I so the movie ends when Jeremy Irons gives his speech, and he's like, I found the apple, everybody. And he starts opening it up, and smoke and starts coming out. flipping their shit. And they're, they're like, going crazy. Yeah. And you also kind of see, not only are all the Templars wearing hoods, like, what the fuck, dude? Well, it's like, who's the real hood? Yeah. Who's the good now, dog? <laughs> uh, uh, and and but uh, then then Aguilar, except not Aguilar. It's well, Cal dressed as Aguilar. Yeah, shows up and Marion Cotillard is horrified that her father doesn't really care about ending violence at all. He just wanted the apple to take over the world. Mm-hmm. But then Cal shows up and he says to her, "Like I'm going to take care of this." And then he uses the other power that Aguilar had, which was the ability to suddenly jump invisibly over large yeah. groups of people to end up where he needs to be he at the moment. He appears where he needs to be. He's a He's Jason. like Nightcrawler, basically. Yeah, he's like, like a Jason. If he was Nightcrawler, I'd be like, yeah, of course. Bamf, and he's there. A little smell of brimstone, mm-hmm. and he's and he's there. But instead, he just kind of shows up behind Jeremy Irons, slashes Jeremy Irons' throat, and the Templars, who up until this point were just on the verge of ruling the world, yep. scatter to the winds. Yeah, uh, but and- without a, much of a sense of urgency. They're just seeing Yeah, that they're a little bit like... They're out to come outside. The, the home team is losing. Might as well get out <laughs> yeah. of here before we and beat the. Uh, they look like people leaving it. a Broadway show. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. When people leave before the show is over. Yeah. And they're like, the the Broadway, the actors are finishing the last song, and some old asshole gets up and is like, It's like, I uh, guess Matilda's got magic powers. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. I get it. Glove conquers all. I don't need to wait to leave this play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The farmer and the cowman should be friends. I understand the idea. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the idea. Yeah. I mean, and then it, Hamilton did whatever, lived a happy life forever. I don't need to see the rest of the play. <laughs> Dolly will never go away again. I understand. 
There's a guy, there's a doll, I get it. Problem solved, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Anything goes in this new world, I understand what's happening. The judge is going to sit down, Sweeney Todd's going to give him a good shave, <laughs> end of story, they're friends now. I don't need to see the rest. <laughs> <laughs> what's done is done. This guy, guy misunderstands. <laughs> what's this, a sword fight? I'm sure Hamlet's going to win, he's the hero of the movie. It's in the day, it's in the title of the movie, it's a play, I don't know, I gotta so go. So what if there's been three hours of inaction? Sure. Now's his time. I'm sure they're gonna. He's due. I'm sure they're gonna arrest this con music man and throw him in jail where he belongs. Well, gotta go. I'm late for something, and this Glenn Gary and Glenn Ross characters haven't even showed up yet. Time for me to leave. The salesman dies. It's in the title. I don't have to stick around. Gotta go. I'll tell you this: morning doesn't become Electra. I Audi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I sat through so much of Aunt Dan. How much of Lemon am I going to have to sit through? I'm out. It's a Wallace Shawn play. <laughs> anyway, uh, Marion Cotillard, she says, I want, I'm want. i going to get revenge. I on- get it. It's your town. <laughs> <laughs> Not much to look at. <laughs> <laughs> that's, such, that's a trenchant our town joke. Uh, Marion Cotillard, her father's been killed, and she vows revenge. Cut to... Cal is already halfway across the city, perched on a building, Batman style, just looking out at nothing. And an eagle that we've seen swooping by all the time, because half this movie is shots of eagles swooping by over cities, swoops by, and he is about to jump again off this tower when cut to black. Cue hip hop. And part of it's like, I fucking get it, dude. Batman's awesome. (laughs) Like, Batman's fucking sweet. Don't fucking constantly rip off Batman. It's like we have and one don't, of those. And don't do a Batman without what makes Batman cool. Like yeah. a fucking code of honor, right? That's what makes Batman cool. But assassins, what's so cool about them is they don't have a... I mean, we just watched an Azrael movie, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except his uh, his wrist blades are on the Other bottom side. side of his wrist. Yeah, yeah. And they aren't like on fire? What was that? Yeah, Azrael's blades were kind of always on fire, and he, but he wrere a hood. That was one of the first Batman stories I read. And it was some kind of League of Assassins or Templars or something. I think that was one of the first Batman stories I remember reading because I was a Marvel kid. Oh, yeah. And that, Azrael was like a very Marvel-style uh, DC character. He was a real attempt at, yeah, that kind of character. It was, I mean, he was DC kind of trying to show you why those characters are not good. Yeah. Why Marvel rules and DC rules, which is not the case. It's actually mm-hmm. the opposite. But yeah, Dan, I think we just watched a stealth pilot yeah. for an Asriel movie series. And I t- feel taken advantage of by that. So is it time for Final Judgments? It is time for so Final Judgments. Final Judgments. Where we uh, say whether it was a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of liked. Uh, Final Judgments. Stuart, what do you have to say? Uh, you know, I went into this hoping it was going to be a good goofball romp. Uh, I knew that the yeah, real sex farce, <laughs> yeah, a lot of slamming doors. <laughs> um, but the only door that slammed was my enthusiasm for this movie they because a lot of slamming moors. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, I think there was social the, moors, mores. <laughs> that was the sound of me putting down my glass in disgust. Yeah, all right. So social moors, you mean s'mores? <laughs> And I would like, I would not like some more of that, please. Anyway, I'm sorry, Dan. I'm getting a little too real. Uh, Stuart? Uh, yeah, so, no, this uh, this movie wasn't very good. Uh, I don't recommend it. It's, uh, it's crazy. Uh, so if you want a movie that is crazy but takes itself very seriously, 
you can watch this, but I would not recommend it. It's very slow and very like yeah, it takes itself very, it's very hushed in that it takes itself super seriously like we're really watching a battle between freedom and and slavery here with these these epic figures and we really got to give we you know what? We got to treat this video game series with the respect it deserves. But it's weird cuz I think they change all the names of people which makes one wonder like I mean I guess the attraction of the series is the idea that you're going back in time to play an assassin but like I guess the characters or like if their names aren't important what's important i mean we what found, is important Elliot? <laughs> i don't know i mean this movie was kind of the anti-usa and that characters were not welcome <laughs> yeah it was a bad bad movie i hated it <laughs> <laughs> the end i love forget me not i'm jesse i'm jordan And we've been doing Jordan Jesse Go for almost 10 years now. And it's not gotten any easier to describe. So we asked our fans to do it for us. Jordan Jesse Go is a weekly conversation with two best pals, two hilarious friends, the hilarious smart kids, talking about hilarious stuff that happens to them, mostly really stupid stuff, awkward anecdotes, insane tangents, heartfelt stuff. It's like being thrown in the middle of a hilarious conversation between you and your best pal. It's a show that makes me laugh every week, which is pretty rare and wonderful. It might be the best thing on the internet. One of the funniest things you will hear. And it's the best part of my week and has kept me company for the past seven years through all sorts of life. I love those guys. That's Jordan Jesse Go, the comedy podcast that's been named Best of iTunes. Every Monday on MaximumFun.org or your favorite podcasting software. I'll hug you and kiss you and love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. But uh, now it's time to give some love to our sponsors. The Flophouse is sponsored in part by ZipRecruiter. I'm giving kisses to ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Yeah. Do you, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Sure don't. Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. But with ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 200-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash first. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash first. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com Slash first. So I can, if I'm hiring for a job, yeah, I can. I don't have to go to each of those individual sites and post individually. I can just do it all through ZipRecruiter.com. And if I go to ZipRecruiter.com slash first, I get how much? Uh, you can try it for free. For free? Yeah. For no. f- free posting? Free. To all those places? Yeah. Sir, if you were trying to post this job individually to all the sites, you would be a chump. <laughs> <laughs> a little harsh, but fair. <laughs> so try ZipRecruiter instead. Don't be a chump. Be a chimp. Chimps know it only takes one click to do it. It's so easy, even a caveman could do it. Is that slogan available? Oh, boy. We are on thin legal ice right now. <laughs> uh, as long as we're not on thin dentine ice. <laughs> Too minty. But... <laughs> Stuart is shaking his head. He will no, brook. Sir, don't care for this. He will brook none of your buffoonery. Yeah, he, he will cannot not, sanction your buffoonery. He will not allow it. Um. So, Blue Apron is our other uh, sponsor tonight. 
They are a for less than ten dollars per person per meal. Just abandon that first sentence. Go on to the next one. What are they, Dan? They're a food started, delivery service. I started talking before I knew what I was going to say, and I decided no, that's not the way to get into things. <laughs> They're a food delivery service for less than ten dollars per person per meal. Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. You cook it at home, but they've already done the portions, and they give you all the instructions, so you don't have to worry about measuring anything, my least favorite part of cooking. And you know when you get food delivered, and you ordered food for yourself, but there's like three sets of chopsticks in there, and you're like, fuck you. You don't have to feel that way, because they've already portioned out your ingredients. Yeah. You don't and have to probably throw not away extra any- chopsticks. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> yeah, I actually give them a Viking funeral when they come to my home. And then the, the helmet washes up on the shore, and the lowly moss collector finds it, and the cycle begins anew. It's good. Well, Blue Apron. So it's less than $10 per yeah. person per meal. It's fresh ingredients. They've got lots of exciting dishes. Here's my favorite part. Let me give you some of those dishes. Okay. okay. Lay it on me. Lay some yeah. dishes on me, daddy this, this, this is Dan's version of the Zagat sketch from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Spinach and fresh mozzarella pizza with olives, bell peppers, and ricotta salata. Mm. Sounds good. Sweet and sour salmon with bok choy, carrot, and ginger fried rice. Mm. Parmesan the crusted. The Skeksis like it, apparently. Parmesan crusted chicken with creamy fettuccine and roasted broccoli. That sounds fantastic. That's right up your alley. It's alley. That's right. Up, I would eat that right now. Hand it to me, Dan. Baby, Why are you holding back? Baby broccoli and Fantini, Fantina paninis. <laughs> no, no. You know, I like the way you said that. Fantini paninis. <laughs> with hard-boiled egg and arugula salad. Makes Ch- that two hard-boiled eggs. Hey, listen. And one duck egg. Listen. Duck soup. No, what night of the opera? Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping. By going to blueapron.com slash flophouse. Blueapron.com slash flophouse. Blueapron.com You can get how many meals free? Three meals free. Three free meals, three and free rhymes. You know it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So build it yourself, beautiful. <laughs> no. That's the that's an old slogan for a different sponsor. <laughs> I mean, I think it the shoe fits. It does not. <laughs> and it's an apron. <laughs> and you know what that apron says, Dan? It, that, it, that blue apron, it says, kiss the cook. And you know who the cook's going to be? You. So kiss yourself. Mm-hmm. Go, you you go, earned it. Go kiss yourself. Go kiss yourself. Just yes. get up, find a mirror, and yeah. just start kissing your own image. Yeah, just get right in there and kiss you yourself. You know you want to. Haven't you ever wondered about it? Mm-hmm. How good a kisser you are oh, from yeah. the other side? Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> and you know what? You're all alone. Do whatever you want. Get crazy. No one, else, yeah, no one needs to know. Down. Yeah, put some UB40 on the sound on the on the stereo <laughs> on the soundtrack. And just just follow your follow your body wherever it leads. Follow your bliss. Straight to Blue Apron. Mm. slash Lopez. You look like you got something to say. I got something to read off of the Great Jumbotron Whoa, high above the flop house. Oh my! My eyes are blinded from the glory of the Jumbotron. Uh, this, oh, uh, my eyes can make out some words. I'm reading them now. <laughs> Continue to narrate. <laughs> this message is for Gina Radcliffe. The message is from some Steve's Slack Pals and Floppers. It says this. Hey, kiddo. Here's a shout out to you, a great writer and one of the best murder podcasters. We are so lucky to have you as our internet friend. You are smart, funny, and kind. Heart emoji. 
Oh, yeah. And Patrick, too. There you have it. I like how heartfelt so many of these Jumbo yeah. messages are. Mm-hmm. Real uh, contrast to the assholery that we provide. That we do. And if I know, if I was sending, if I was buying Jumbotron messages, it would just be sick burns and trolling of people that I know. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here and say, I know that Gina Radcliffe, she deserves that heart emoji. Oh, yeah. that's really nice. Dan, True. I've got something to say. Yeah. Uh, I just <laughs> wanted to remind people that still on sale through our website is your comic book story, Cosmic Bowl. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. The first of the Flophouse Funnies <laughs> comic book stories. Oh, Dan is so enthusiastic about his work. No, no, and, I, that, I, and that all proceeds go to the ACLU. We've already raised more than $2,000 to donate to them. That's crazy. And any more would be great. And this this time, it's a needed organization, as it always is. I, would, I, so. I half assumed we would barely be able to pay the artist. No, nope, but we were able to pay the artist and then more so. So thanks to everyone who bought it and read it. Hope you liked it. And for new people, please pick it up and get ready for more Flophouse comic stories. Yeah, and because it did well, way. it means more's on the way. Yeah. I thought that what you were going to say, I, what you were going to say was the other Jumbotron, the one that I sent to you. Uh, when did you send it to me? Hmm. Well, Elliot's going to look for that. Dan, let's vamp for a second. Vamping. This is the part of the show. This is the part where it's I'm going to say something. Time since you've given me a jumbotron Vamping. to read, Dan, I'm going to say something heartfelt me. while you guys are goofing around. Talking I just want to say uh, once again, uh, last episode and the episodes before we were doing the uh, Max Fun Drive. It's been a couple weeks, but. Uh, we're just totally blown away at the uh, at the amount of new listeners. Uh, you guys are the main reason I we're able to do this, uh, and it means a lot. I missed Dan's email because I don't like Dan. Okay, and oh, I, you have a filter that says out. send all Dan emails into the trash. Yeah, yeah, not even to spam, just straight to trash. Mm-hmm. This one, that's it. Okay. So here's I I do like Dan. That was just a joke. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. not start any Dan Elliott feud things. I only have feuds with a few people: Justin McElroy mm-hmm. and a couple of others. <laughs> anyway, this is a message for Addy and Hero, and it's from Emmeline. And the message goes as follows: <clears throat> Double happy birthday to my fantastic family and fellow Flophouse fans. To my sister Addy, you are awesome, and I wish the best for you this next year. And to my nephew Hero, I can't believe you are nine years old. You rock. A lot of love from Emmeline. Oh, that's very nice. Very sweet. Happy birthday to all and to all a good night. <laughs> we did it. Now what do we do on this podcast, Dan? This is the part of the podcast where we read letters from listeners. Okay. Uh, listeners like you. Like who? So, like you. Like, like who? me? Like you. Like him? Like him. Like them? <laughs> like them. There's a lot of great listeners out there. Like you and him, and them and we, and us and she, and all the people at NBC, <laughs> I assume, give us a show. Lots of listeners that write us letters. They pour on in, in big old sacks, with lots of facts. And questions for us to answer. I'm sorry these people might have cancer, but they didn't tell us that, so I'm assuming they don't. 
look, it's a Schrodinger's cat type of situation. Whether they do or not across this whole nation. If you don't know that something bad's happening to someone, then there's a 50-50 chance that it is. You won't find out until they tell you. It's possible they won't tell you till they smell you. So bathe. People will trust you more if you do. This message was brought to you by the Cleanliness Council. Uh, if you want to know if your friends are having a serious health problem, bathe, and they'll trust you more to keep it a secret if they smell clean on you. That song really ended up far away from where it began. Yeah, it was a real picaresque journey This one through the dark heart of America. This letter is from... Oh, like Easy Rider. This letter is from Kata, last name withheld. And it goes like this. I was wondering where you're going to go with that, and you did not disappoint. I was just like, "There's no way that Ellie can come up with anything for Kata," and I was proven wrong mm-hmm. because of my love of bugs that sleep for 17 years before they come out and make noise. And, and then they me. leave these super dope shells that look like fucking Gartham. Yeah, they're really cool, and I loved them as a kid. I would collect them. And then my mom would throw them out, which she was right to do. What was I going to do with them? <laughs> yeah, snag on them. <laughs> <laughs> Kata writes, I'm currently a law student in Ottawa, Canada, and after I finished my first year, I decided to finally watch the much-recommended film, The Paper Chase. Do they say first year or year first? Uh, Well, she says first year. I'm going to say year first, because they say grade one, like grade nine or whatever, instead of ninth grade. Go on. Yeah, it's a crazy mirror world. (laughs) Where up is down and left is right. Uh, Pizza tastes like celery. (laughs) (laughs) I decided to finally watch the much-recommended film, The Paper Chase. Although taking place in the 70s, it is in many ways a very accurate representation of the stress and some of the, let's say, interesting people you may encounter at law school. So my question for you is, is there any movie you think has a surprisingly accurate depiction of your respective fields or areas of interest? Thanks again, Kate, a last name with help. Um, Paper Chase is a good movie. Yeah. There's... There's a lot of like backstage kind of movies uh, and television shows, but most of them about comedy have been pretty bad. It's weird. Comically bad. How many shows about the making of TV and movies are not in any way accurate about that process when the people making them, you know, know how that stuff works? Yeah. Because it's their profession. Um, but maybe realism isn't their goal. Making an entertaining story is. Well, they have usually fail on that account, sure. too. I will say, this is not a movie. One <laughs> show that was very accurate in, in the broad strokes of what it's like to write on a TV show was Mad Men. Even though it was not about a TV show, there were a lot of things going on in that show where it was like, oh, this is what it feels like to be on the staff of a television show, even though they're on the staff. Yeah, of, like the an ad dynamics agency. of like a creative uh, environment. Yeah, exactly. Where there's a lot of tension and people want ownership over their work, but can't totally have it. Yeah, the uh, obviously, I would say, if you want to know about podcasters, go watch Tusk. <laughs> Actually, I haven't seen that movie. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I'd say uh, the first movie that comes to mind from like bartending. Cocktail. Cocktail. cocktail you know, it's all about flipping them bottles. <laughs> Uh, getting up, dropping some, uh, dropping some speeches on people, not serving that many drinks. Now, Stuart, what songs do you have pre choreographed dance routines to? Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like people nowadays only like songs from the fifties. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Hippie Shake. I mean, of course, everybody <laughs> fucking loves that. They lap it up. Um, 
<laughs> like if I poured it in a little doggy dish, Sorry, they'd no, get exist. down their knees and they'd lab it up. Um, but uh, guys, we're serious. I was going to say uh, the Tom Hardy movie, The Drop with James Gandolfini, mm. uh, except for the inevitable violent stuff. Uh, a lot of it is the like mundane boringness of being in a neighborhood bar in Brooklyn. And I thought that was pretty cool. What will you say, Dan? Um, it's a movie that I gave a marginal recommendation to uh, before. Don't think twice. I believe is what it was called. The Mike Birbiglia, Birbiglia film about what improv? About improv. Yeah, I, it's got its uh, weird parts to it. The fact that they're all like super, like the super committed group that all like seems to live together. Doing improv. I was talking to Gagliard- Mark Gagliardi about it at the Max Fun meetup, and he said he le- he saw that movie like three times in the theater because it reminded him so much of his like improv yeah. experience and his experience auditioning for Saturday Night Live. No, I think it, I think it was pretty accurate in terms of what it's like to be a struggling uh, comedic uh, person in a city. So I recommend that one for this uh, question. Uh, but to move on from Genie, last name withheld. Uh, Jean, Genie, uh, I, dream I dream of. of? Oh, fuck. Hi, we've baby. never had a friend like <coughs> this letter writer. <sighs> okay, like the song that Genie sings in Aladdin. Okay, not as good as your cicada, but mm, all of our guests. Uh, uh, let me. I was kind of not given the opportunity to fully. Do one originally. I was giving Stuart room, and he totally nailed it. <laughs> Excellent job, Stu. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. could not hope to do better. Jeannie writes, Hi, Peaches. My husband and I are big fans and love the fun that the podcast brings <laughs> into our lives. Some of our favorite parts are when Elliot and Dan and Stuart make fun of Dan mispronouncing everything, <laughs> as we are especially guilty of that in our own lives. Making fun of Dan? This is not a good quality to possess in that we're both teachers. Whether it be unintentionally saying something offensive or just flat out tripping over our own tongues, it can be a nuisance. We are both choir directors. One of my most my more memorable moments was when I was rehearsing Carol of the Bells with my high school choir, and the last section is when the tenors sing Ding Dong, Ding Dong. I turned to my tenor section and said very emphatically, Guys, don't cut off the dong too soon. hi What is this, Castle Break? <laughs> yeah, that was for you, Stuart. Oh, uh, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Uh, <laughs> let me call my wife to her to clear off a shelf. <laughs> Thank the Academy. Yeah. As a choir director, the possibilities for this type of instance are endless. <laughs> As we've seen in Funky Winker Bean. <laughs> anyway, that's high school bands. Never mind. The other day, my husband was re- rehearsing a Tarzan medley. I don't know what that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to guess it's songs from the Disney movie Tarzan All right. and not just different yells. <laughs> <laughs> rehearsing a tar- yeah, it's Tarzan boy. Rehearsing a Tarzan medley with his sixth grade choir. When telling them the synopsis of the movie, he meant to say, and then Tarzan was raised by apes. Uh-oh. <laughs> but very unfortunately, he said to about 50 kids, and then Tarzan was raped by apes. <laughs> well, that took a good 10 minutes out of class. <laughs> At least, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, the parent-teacher conferences immediately after. So now the disciplinary hearings have begun. Trauma counseling. Since since all of you do a lot of speaking in front of crowds with your live shows, do you have any memorable moments when you've had a slip of the tongue? Or maybe at any point in your life? Dan, please limit to three. Love you guys, (laughs) and thanks for the laughs. Jeannie, last name withheld. 
uh, in front of a crowd. Yeah, specifically, I not mean, necessarily. Just a okay, because the I'm, there are many times I'm sure when I've said words I didn't mean to say. There was the other night. Uh, the I was hosting a screening of In the Mouth of Madness, my favorite John Carpenter mm-hmm. movie, at the Alamo Draft House in New York. It was great. And did you say at the Mountains of Madness, and everyone was like, "Oh my God, the lost masterpiece that was never made, the Guillermo del Toro classic that doesn't exist." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I meant to say overshot, and I think it said overshit. Uh, and like the, the five-year-olds in the audience for the late night movie were flipping their wigs. <laughs> like, he said a bad word. Anyway, show me the movie where the people turn into skinless horrors. <laughs> I will say that uh, speaking of, since since your husband accidentally misspoke and said that Tarzan was raped by apes, uh, I did once do a live presentation at a show called Kevin Geeks Out, hosted mm-hmm. by Kevin Warren, New York, about uh, the tradition in movies of people being raped by gorillas as comedy fodder. Or the implied rape of people like gorillas, and how I don't think that's funny, and I think it's really terrible. Uh, and it was only as I was walking up to the stage that uh, I was about to give a presentation called Ape Rape that it ran through my head, wait a second, this might not work. I'm about to say the word rape a lot of times mm-hmm. in this presentation, but it worked out pretty well. It was the right room for that presentation, but... I know that the nervousness well, of saying that kind of thing in front of an audience, well, hoping they'll understand. And don't worry, Ellie, in 2017, Dave Chappelle would go on to release a special that features the word <laughs> rape a ton. Yeah, but that doesn't really <laughs> help me feel better about it. Uh, now, this isn't something I said, but I remember <laughs> when I was in high school reading an issue of YM Magazine. <laughs> and there's that uh, sure. there's that because you segment. were both young and modern yeah exactly when we were sitting around the library and our library carried it and there was uh there's that so were you also like a teen boy who found himself with his friends looking at ym magazine to like learn something about girls kind of i think it was i was hanging out uh i i got to sit at the uh library table with like the cool kid uh-huh uh, I think I was hanging out with my friends Brian Baltzell and his friend Aaron Hughes, who had older brothers. So, you know, of course he's cool. <laughs> and so he he was the one who picked up the YM magazine. And in my head, I'm like, that's not for me to look at. That's for girls. Uh, obviously, I have become a much more progressive human since then. Sure, yeah, you read um, But there the was time. a, uh, I think it was in the Say Anything section which is when people like write in and tell stories where they misspoke. And my favorite one was still where the, uh, the young lady in the story was telling a instance where she was at a pharmacy and was trying to buy some candy. And the person at the counter was a handsome man. And when he asked her what she wanted, she said Reese's penis instead of Reese's pieces. Oh boy. How embarrassing. Oh, the laughs I had in that library. Now was his name Reese? Because <laughs> yeah. that would make it doubly awkward. His name was Kyle Reese, Elliot. Uh, and he came here from the future. He came here from the future to save the future. <laughs> to save the future, because a Terminator is trying to kill John So Connor. he needed to get a job temporarily. Oh, yeah, to support himself for a little bit, because he went, he overshot and went back too far. And mm-hmm. it was long before John Connor's mother Well, you can't wear one trench coat all the time, Elliot. That's crazy. He had to buy <laughs> multiple trench coats. I mean, to buy any clothes. He came in from the future naked. Mm-hmm. So he just walked into that 7-Eleven or whatever it was, nude, got the job because they needed someone badly. The other I mean, I said pharmacy. Sick. I think you're, that's a stretch to call it a 7-Eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot. I knew it was a counter where, where candy is sold. Yeah, you're like... 
Is it a 7-Eleven? Is it a soda jerk? So I'm I walk sure. into 7-Elevens all the time. I'm like, can you fill this prescription, please? He's <laughs> like, sure. Uh, is cheese okay? Or Luckily, it's a prescription I wrote myself <laughs> that just calls for big gulps. Okay. Because that, uh, I thought we were going to go on a bit where like Steve Urkel shows up and <laughs> brings <laughs> prescription. And he gets a fill of cheese because he's Steve Urkel and he loves cheese. Okay, don't worry about it. We'll work on this what, bit. What, what medicine would Steve Urkel be getting? Like his his like Adderall or something yeah, I, like that? I'm assuming I it's assume something like that. Or some kind of Zoloft? Or- yeah, it's the only thing that allows him to focus when he's building robots of himself. <laughs> okay. Dan? This last letter is from Sarah last night withheld. Connor. He writes... Help me, <laughs> yeah. Say, help me find Kyle Reese. <laughs> help me settle a long-running argument. If FDR came back as a zombie, would his legs work? Thanks, you're the best. Sarah Lasting withheld. I'm gonna say no. No. Those muscles were so atrophied in real life. I can only imagine that decomposition has done them a turn worse. But if you've ever seen, really looked at closely at pictures of him, especially pictures taken around times when he was swimming. There are not that many of them, but you see that his upper body was super built up because he had to rest almost all of his weight on his arms whenever he needed to move around. And his legs are very thin. They've atrophied. And so the idea that— So he's like an English longbowman? uh, In a way, uh, kind of. And so the idea that this upper half could be supported by the lower half, I just don't buy it. So I'm going to say no. Elliot, with all due respect, you're an idiot. Oh, explain, Dan. If the zombiness can reanimate dead tissue, then of course it can reanimate his legs to a degree that it's he not can, that the egg legs need to be reanimated. You're he just saying that he'd be he crawling alive. around because he he can't he can't support his upper body. Yes, his legs still might move. You're saying? I mean, I don't think they would move either. I don't. I think those. See, I think that that's where you run into trouble. Explain. Maybe I would. Maybe I would accept that. The legs would be so weak that he could only kick them around like a baby. And but how is he animated? Is he? Is it magic? Did a necromancer rise him from the dead, this or is, is a this good like a virus? Now, if this is some kind of space virus, there's no way. Yeah, if no, this is some kind of music-based calypso, like in Weekend at Bernie's Two, then maybe yes. Except if, it would be when he, whenever he heard calypso music, and he'd dance away into the ocean. But if it's like space worms, like in Night of the Creeps, it could lead to a situation where his legs do work, which is one of the more touching moments of Night of the Creeps when he's hearing his friend talk about how he can walk again after not being able to walk. But they're not. Really zombies are they a night of the creeps their bodies have been taken over they're not reanimated dead uh i mean there's a lot of dead flesh wandering around and i mean i think one's like basically just a skeleton that sounds like a zombie mm, that's a good point that's a good point i stand corrected dan i still here's the thing about zombie science it's still pretty hypothetical because it's not real and doesn't exist uh-huh but I have to assume that the zombie is No matter is not- how many uh, Reddit boards, they call them boards, Reddit boards, for the Walking Dead television program you may post on, you don't know for sure. I've yet to see a zombie movie where the zombie is more powerful than the person was in real life, except for the power of being able to survive dismemberment and things like that in, when you wouldn't be able to in real life. Like, if, unless it has supers, maybe because the zombies in like 28 Days Later move a lot faster than people would be I able mean, to in, move. But. In the television program I, Zombie, she can acquire the traits of people's brains that she eats. Okay, interesting. She couldn't do that before when she was not a zombie. She I'm assuming we actually. Fun. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know for sure. <laughs> Once again, we're getting into hypothetical territory. Now, yeah, that could, anybody who eats a brain might get that ability. Yeah, you're totally right. 
And yeah. Rogue wouldn't even need to eat a brain. She'd just need to touch you, Suge, and she'd get all your memories and powers. But what if she ate a brain? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It should be go, weird. Go fucking post that on a on a YouTube comment. What if Rogue ate a brain? <laughs> and just see what happens. Throw that message in a model into the sea and see who picks it up. Just write hello on that dollar bill and buy it someone with it and see uh, see where that message lands. I feel like that's a rock I don't want to just start kicking over. No, I think that's a good point. Might be a zombie underneath it. Dan, you look tired. Yeah, I'm sorry. You look like what a, do we do now? Like a tired little baby my, yawning his face open. My cold is sapping my energy rapidly, so we should move on Sapidly. to uh, the last segment, which is recommendations of movies that you've seen recently that you enjoyed or maybe not so recently that you enjoyed uh i watched a movie that i taped off of better not be the same movie i'm gonna recommend i think it would be very surprising if it was (laughs) i taped this movie off of turner classic movies on a whim uh based on the description and the cast hey welcome to my world that's what i do all the time it was called suddenly oh with frank sinatra frank sinatra and sterling hayden Old Blue Eyes? Yep, uh, Sterling Hayden, Old Blue Eyes. <laughs> Sterling Hayden plays a small town sheriff. And Is there any other kind? Uh, well, <laughs> good question. Uh, or is it a good question? Now, come to Not English. really. <laughs> he uh, finds out that the president is going to make a stop in his town. He's going to get off the train in his town to go drive off to visit a uh, adjoining town and uh, Frank Sinatra is in town to try and kill the president. He does a home invasion of a house up on the hill um, of the father of the woman that Sterling Hayden is kind of sweet on. And there's a hostage situation with Sterling Hayden and the mother and the, the her old young man. son and an old man. Sorry, I'm really fading now. And uh, it's just a 75-minute long movie, so it keeps it pretty tight. Um, and it's just fun to watch uh, Frank Sinatra be, I assume, kind of what Frank Sinatra was like in real life, except for wanting to kill the president. Kind of an asshole. Yeah, violent jerk. <laughs> violent jerk. Uh, but he's kind of electrifying in the role. And... Um, it's just a fun assassination uh, thriller. It happened before uh, JFK got assassinated. There's, there's, comp- the, I wasn't able to find out whether this was true online or not, but there's talk that the movie was pulled because of the JFK assassination, and that's why it hasn't been seen that much since. But um, it's very good. It's a lot of fun. I think it was not that successful a movie when it came out. Yeah. It was part of it, too. Like, people say that about the Manchurian Candidate, like, oh, Sinatra pulled it after Kennedy was assassinated, but it was really, there was a rights situation that yeah. that made it very difficult for it to be re-released. Yeah. Uh, so that's a fun one, huh? Oh. Just like Assassin's Creed, you picked an assassin movie. Yeah. Oh. I'm going to pick a movie. Think about it. It's appropriate. That's not like that at all. Uh, movie- Do they have wrist blades in that movie? <laughs> no, they have an electrified gun. So what happens when Frank Sinatra uses his animus machine <laughs> to relive his past histories? Yeah. Yeah, what happens to him? Uh, <laughs> oh, the hijinks. Such hijinks. <laughs> Just like Assassin's Creed, full of hijinks. Uh, 
this on the movie I saw is uh, another movie by that master of Indian filmmaking, Satyajit Ray, oh. who uh, or Satyajit. I'm always pronouncing his name wrong. I'm sure. Who I recommended his Apu movies not too long ago. I guess this one uh, I only saw recently, and the Indian title is something like uh, Jalsagar, but it means, or it, in English, it's the Music Room, and it is the story of a kind of the last member of an aristocratic family or rather the last kind of like male scion of this aristocratic family that is deteriorating and does not have the money it once had and he is addicted to two things one the respect that comes with being an aristocrat in this very old world style village he lives in and live music played in his music room and he is running through the family money and jewels and everything to keep hiring live musicians and putting on these shows. And as a result, he drives himself and his family into ruin, and yet he cannot seem to break the spell that the need for respect and the need for music have over him. And there's some amazing scenes of just like Indian music performers in uh, in the music room. And it's a one of these movies where it's like, you know how it's going to end once it starts. Like It's not like the hero's going to have a sudden epiphany and, mm-hmm. and things are going to turn out okay. But uh, but it was really good and really well done, and I found it really powerful. So the music room, the music room. Okay, guys, you got to hear me out. Okay, the movie I'm going to recommend <laughs> is a movie I think I've talked about on this podcast before. Okay, it's a movie called Critters Two. <laughs> <laughs> I want to recommend Critters Two to you guys. Now is that the one where I don't remember Critters Two at all? Bounty Hunter. Uh, yes, is the Playboy yes. model and pulls a staple out of. Yes, that All happens. Right. So Critters 2. Critters 2 is a perfect example of... Now, this is Critters 2, the main course, the main as course. Wikipedia tells me. <laughs> yep, uh, uh, of course. Um, Critters 2 is a perfect example of a sequel that genuinely improves on the first film. Uh, the special effects are bigger and better. It's got some great practical effects. It's directed by Mick Garris. Mm-hmm. Uh, the script was written by... Stephen <laughs> King's favorite director. Yeah. This... <laughs> This script was written by Mick Garris and David Twohey, who would go on to do Pitch Black and uh, Below and The Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, you know, so we got uh, we got some bona fides working on this movie. Um, it also does feature an amazing performance from Elliot's favorite actor, Eddie Deason. Oh, yeah. Big <laughs> uh, fan. So it's no, it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's got some great uh, special effects. I totally recommend Critters 2. And I'm also going to throw out a small uh, another recommendation to a more recent movie uh, that I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. I, uh, my wife and I watched Neighbors 2 uh, oh, yeah. the other day, which was a sequel to the Seth Rogen uh, and who's that? Uh, Zach Efron. Yep. Uh, comedy. Where now they're working together, right? Yeah, but the... Uh, and they're working... In theory, or at least uh, against a, a sorority that has uh, a sorority that has started up next door, and it manages to be like first off for a studio comedy, it has way more laughs than you would expect, and it has a it has a very uh, feminist message to it, which I was not totally expecting it. Uh, yeah, it's really great. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is great. Uh, yeah, it's fun. All right. Three very similar movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got The Music Room, you got Critters 2, <laughs> and you got Suddenly. Yeah. The really Neighbors 2. Spans the whole spectrum of human experience. Yep. Whether it's 
presidential assassinations, <laughs> the fall of a once great family, or critters. <laughs> <laughs> the other night I was talking to somebody, and we were talking about critters too, and I'm like, I'm going to fucking recommend that. And then I checked on the Flophouse Recommends wiki, which is lovingly maintained by mm-hmm. a listener. Um, and I... Uh, pulled it up and I saw that I had not recommended any of the Critters movies and I was shocked. I think I, I almost dropped my phone. That must be corrected. Yeah, exactly. I had the, that moment of like, what has happened? But surely you've recommended Dollman versus the Demonic Toys, <laughs> At least yes? once, right? <laughs> How many care. of the Trancers films have you recommended? I don't know. Maybe just one or two. At least Crossworlds, right? I'll have to check. Check. What about Trancer Cop? I don't think I've seen Transfer Cop yet. Oh, okay. All right. Well, this is a conversation that could easily take place off air, so we should and probably should. <laughs> wrap it up. For the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. I've been Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen, now and forever at the Winter Garden. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. It's a creed for assassins. You can't spell creed without reed. Meaning, like a reed coming out of water. You know, or you use when you play clarinet. So it could mean assassins see reed, and the C stands for clarinet. Or as jazz men would call it a licorice stick. Clarinet. Never heard that before. I think that's funny. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hi everybody, I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Travis McElroy. I'm Griffin McElroy. And we host the first podcast ever made, My Brother, My Brother, Made. Every Monday we put out the first ever advice comedy podcast ever. They found our podcast on Dead Sea Scrolls. We're the Hammurabi Code of podcasts and we're ready to entertain you with jokes that we invented the first jokes. So join us every Monday on MaximumFun.org. You'll never crack our code, Dan Brown. Just try me. It's history in the making. And in the faking. And it's all yours for the taking.